The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by DXC Technology. Let us show you the way to your digital future. Thrive on change. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, March 6th. In today's news, Elizabeth Warren's exit from the race ignites a conversation about sexism in politics. A federal judge rips into Bill Barr for his misleading summary of the Mueller report. And the attorney general is also acting like his own Supreme Court on immigration. But first, the big idea. Military helicopters delivered testing kits Thursday to a cruise ship being held off the coast of California as officials in Washington faced angry questions about whether the vessel is set to become the latest breeding ground for the deadly coronavirus. The Grand Princess, which was returning to San Francisco after a two-week cruise to Hawaii, remained offshore and in limbo at the request of California Governor Gavin Newsom. About 100 people were expected to be tested, among them 11 passengers and 10 crew members who have shown potential signs of what's formally known as COVID-19. Even as the military ferried tests to the cruise ship and thousands of passengers waited uneasily on board, public health officials on land were investigating a cluster of coronavirus cases among the roughly 2,500 people who had taken an earlier cruise on the same ship. One of those passengers, a 71-year-old man, has since died. As the U.S. death toll rose to 12, the virus spread to new states including three cases in Montgomery County, Maryland, the D.C. suburbs. Health officials in the Houston area also reported two likely cases. These developments caused the stock market to plunge again, offsetting the rally from earlier in the week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 970 points on Thursday as the economic outlook continued to worsen. Meanwhile, the Senate voted nearly unanimously to approve the emergency spending package to combat the outbreak, sending the measure to the White House for the president's signature. But many questions remain about just how prepared our country is for an expanded outbreak. Vice President Pence, who on Tuesday said that any American with a doctor's order could get tested for the coronavirus, acknowledged Thursday that we don't have enough tests to meet what we anticipate will be the demand going forward. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar told lawmakers yesterday that the government will have shipped enough tests by the end of this week for 75,000 people to be tested. Earlier in the week, he said they could have one million tests ready by today. Globally, the virus has now infected about 95,000 people and caused 3,200 deaths. A French lawmaker just tested positive. The Vatican just reported its first case. The Netherlands recorded its first fatality. And a rabbi in New York State was infected. Healthcare workers here in the States are worried about protections against the virus. Advocates for healthcare workers say hospital administrators are not adequately protecting staff. National Nurses United, the largest labor union for nurses, said only 30% of its 6,000 nurses that it surveyed in 48 states think their workplace has sufficient protective gear to handle an influx of coronavirus patients. Only 29% said their hospital or clinic has plans for isolating patients if they're infected. A proposed regulation could protect these workers from the virus, but it's hanging in limbo. The draft regulation would require employers to provide protective gear for healthcare workers and to create infection control plans, which would include building isolation rooms. The Obama administration was moving to adopt this regulation, but the Trump administration stopped work on it in 2017, putting it on ice. 
Meanwhile, in Hong Kong, a dog tested positive for coronavirus. The pet has a low-level infection in what may be the first known case. Public health officials, though, say the virus does not appear to infect or be spread by pets normally. But experts say much remains unknown about the dog's infection, and they emphasize that this lone case isn't yet cause for alarm or reassessment about interacting with your pets. Finally, if you're quarantined, you can still eat well. We surveyed some of the country's best-known chefs for ideas yesterday on what people should stock up on in their pantries to prepare for a potential two-week coronavirus quarantine. Celebrity chef Padma Lakshmi suggests that families stock up on frozen veggies and pick a weekend to cook huge batches of different dishes that are stewy and freeze well, like turkey chili. Nina Compton suggests keeping lots of snacks in the fridge, including pickles, nuts, frozen pizzas, and some bags of dried pasta, dried beans, and rice. Edward Lee says you should buy a few packets of instant ramen, and you can glamorize them with frozen green beans, curry powder, and some cheese. And as I mentioned yesterday, The Post has launched a special pop-up newsletter to keep you updated on the spread of the virus. It features a roundup of all our vital reporting. Any article featured in the newsletter is completely free to access. We're taking down the paywall for them as long as you click from the email. To sign up, you can go to WashingtonPost.com slash virus newsletter. WashingtonPost.com slash virus newsletter. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we end another wild week. Number one, as Elizabeth Warren decides whether to endorse either of the two male candidates remaining in the Democratic race for president after she dropped out, her supporters are left to contemplate a factor that many believe contributed significantly to her loss. She's female. It's not that Warren ran an error-free campaign, but her male counterparts also made big mistakes as well. The exit by Warren, who spent much of last year leading in many polls, was a reminder of four years ago, when Hillary Clinton's loss sparked a national conversation about whether a woman could ever win an election to the country's highest political office. Warren's withdrawal also prompted other leading women in Washington to reflect on why that highest and hardest glass ceiling that Clinton once talked about is still so intact. Nancy Pelosi said yesterday that every time she gets introduced as the most powerful woman in the United States, she almost cries because she thinks about how she wishes that weren't true. Still, the Democratic primary has been unusually complicated this year, and many argue that other factors besides sexism were also at play in Warren's fate, like her botched maneuvering of Medicare for All. Her initial strategy also rested on quickly consolidating the left, which discounted Bernie Sanders' enduring appeal after 2016. Speaking to Rachel Maddow on MSNBC last night, Warren called out Sanders for not taking more steps to control what she called the organized nastiness of some of his supporters. Looking forward to the rest of the primaries, Sanders canceled a speech scheduled for later today in Mississippi, where Joe Biden is heavily favored to win the primary on Tuesday, thanks to his support among African Americans. Instead, Sanders will focus on winning Michigan the same day. Many believe Biden could essentially clinch the nomination if he can beat Sanders in the Wolverine state, where Bernie scored a big upset four years ago. And Biden's team is quickly scaling up, hiring lots of new staff, They're looking to tap into the pool of Democratic talent now available because of all the candidates who have dropped out. And Mike Bloomberg is forming a new outside group to support the eventual Democratic nominee. He's decided to form an independent expenditure campaign that will absorb hundreds of his staffers from the presidential campaign and concentrate them in six swing states to work to elect the nominee. The group, with a name that's still undisclosed because its trademark application is in process, would also be a vehicle for Bloomberg to spend money on advertising to attack President Trump and support the nominee. 
Number two, U.S. District Judge Reggie Walton, a conservative appointed by George W. Bush, is overseeing a lawsuit brought by Epic, a watchdog group, and BuzzFeed News to try to obtain the full report from Bob Mueller. The judge ruled yesterday that he sees serious discrepancies between Attorney General Bill Barr's public statements about what the former special counsel found and the partially redacted public version of that report detailing his investigation of Russian interference in the 2016 election. Walton ruled that because of those discrepancies, he will conduct an independent review of Mueller's full report to see whether the Justice Department's redactions are appropriate under the Freedom of Information Act. In his 23-page opinion, Walton said he had, quote, grave concerns about the objectivity of the process that led to the public release of the Mueller report, and he added, quote, Barr's lack of candor specifically calls into question the attorney general's credibility. The judge said he cannot in good faith take Justice Department lawyers at their word that redactions in the report were all done for legally appropriate reasons. Number three, Barr quietly intervened last week in an immigration asylum case. He issued a decision that narrowed the definition of torture for asylum seekers who invoke it as grounds for staying in the United States. Barr used an obscure process called certification. It's historically been little used, but it's a power of the attorney general that allows him to overrule decisions made by the Board of Immigration Appeals. These decisions by the AG set binding precedent. Immigration lawyers and judges say the Trump administration is using this power with greater frequency to the point of abuse as it seeks to severely limit the number of immigrants who can remain in the United States. Experts say the administration is also using it as a check on immigration judges whose decisions don't align with the administration's agenda. Meanwhile, Trump's border crackdown has stalled. Illegal crossings increased again for the first time in nine months in February. And ICE is targeting sanctuary cities with increasing surveillance. The agency's leadership has requested 500 more special agents to join an enhanced arrest campaign rolling out in these cities. It's part of the president's re-election strategy. And here's the latest wild story from Trump's war on immigration. A blind man has failed the U.S. citizenship test because he couldn't read in English. Born 100% blind, the 23-year-old legal permanent resident has been studying English for the past six years since coming to America from Mexico as a teenager. He got a vision exam by an optometrist so he could prove he's legally blind. And he asked in his application that he be given the test in Braille. But then came the problem, the reading portion of the exam. The agency said they received his request for Braille, but the U.S. government doesn't make that available as an option. For the record, the citizenship agency says they gave him three attempts to read a sentence in English, but predictably, whether the print was large or small, he couldn't read what he couldn't see. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, March 6th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Have a good weekend, stay safe out there, and keep putting one foot in front of the other. I'll talk to you on Monday.